You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Cade Young. And I am Kai Fitzgerald. This is the WFHB Local News for Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. Later in the program, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose continues his conversation with Ashley Ewald, writer, advocate, and podcaster in an ongoing interview series. More in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, WFHB News Director Cade Young reports on last night's protest and march over abortion rights. But first, your local headlines. The Bloomington City Council heard a report from the Commission on the Status of Women at their May 4th meeting. The Bloomington Commission on the Status of Women presented a capstone project report on gender equity in Bloomington. Elizabeth Gribbins, Christina Simones, and Adam Schifres presented the report. Elizabeth Gribbins introduced the study. There, when we came with the commission at the beginning of the semester, um, they told us how they are advocating for women's needs and concerns within Bloomington, and they want to promote solutions within the community. So they defined the areas of gender equity um, in workplace issues, housing security, safety, um, child care, and health care. And when we looked at these different issues, we made sure to take an intersectional feminist approach to them. Um, Women have various backgrounds, and so it's really important to consider the implications of race, class, disability, um, sexual orientation, and identity in this kind of work. They expressed a need to us um, for data because some of the surveys that have been previously done um, have minimal data and this data is unrepresentative of the various women within Bloomington and Monroe County. So for us, it was really important to give strategies to address this lack of um, data and representation. And of course it was necessary to use this intersectional approach to doing our work. So we're going to um, tell you a little bit about the work we've done. There was a report on gender equity, which Adam and I will share. And then there was also a team that worked on a potential survey to fill in the gaps of the data that was missing. And lastly, there was a grants team who assessed various um, grant possibilities for doing this survey and for other programming and policy recommendations that we have for you. Schifres gave some policy recommendations and key data points on the report, focusing on employment and pay. Um, As many of you know, there's a significant pay discrepancy uh, between men and women, and there's also discrepancy in poverty levels uh, with uh, over 13% of Hoosier women that are working age living in poverty and uh, nearly 40% of Hoosier single mothers living in poverty. I think if you look at some of the most common jobs in Indiana and compare the wages, it really drives the point home. So for example, average cashier who's a woman is uh, making about 23,600 and a man's making about 27,600. So 17% more. So a significant gap. 
Gribben shared what the council and commission can do to address the wage inequity. So we understand there's a challenge to the minimum wage being set at the state level. Um, And we know that the Bloomington uh, raise is restricted to city employees. So we would just um, recommend that the commission advocate for equitable employment policies and practices um, through various initiatives, such as a business awards program or official statements um, from the mayor or city council and recommendations um, to other businesses to kind of keep that wage a little bit more equitable. During public comment, Bloomington resident Hugh Kramer spoke about the environmental hazard of gas leaf blowers. An individual gas-powered leaf blower emits 500 times the level of hydrocarbons of a modern automobile. A widely cited study conducted at the American Automobile Association's Automotive Research Center found that the hydrocarbon emissions from a half hour of yard work with a two-stroke leaf blower are about the same as a 3,900-mile drive from Texas to Alaska in a Ford F-150 pickup truck. Translating this to Bloomington, one half hour of gas-powered blowing is equivalent to an F-150 making 785 mile trips. Almost all gas blowers use two-stroke engines. The two-stroke engine is vastly dirtier and less fuel efficient than automobiles because it sloshes together a mixture of gasoline and oil in the combustion chamber and then spews out as much as one-third of that fuel as an unburned aerosol and black carbon, both major contributors to global warming. Health hazards. One study found that each cubic meter of exhaust from an idling two-stroke engine contains 60,000 times the safe level of exposure of benzene, a carcinogenic pollutant of exposure. This, of course, has an element of environmental justice. The health risks associated with the lawn and garden equipment are highest for those who operate this equipment continuously. They're exposed to very high levels of pollutants for many hours each day. They're also exposed to very high noise levels that can induce permanent hearing loss if proper ear protection is not always worn. These operators are typically low-wage workers. This puts additional disproportionately high health risks upon this low-income population who are some of the least able to avoid the risks and or pay for it. We banned burning garbage and public smoking for these same reasons. The council held its final vote on modifying the Monroe County local income tax rate. Councilmember Dave Rollo expressed concern about the timing of the increase in local income tax. Thank you. Um, Well, as we've been saying, uh, the nature of this tax uh, as restricted, I suppose, by well, actually restricted by state statute, is that it's a regressive tax, it's a flat tax. Um, So the burden is uh, disproportionately borne on low to moderate income residents. It comes at a time of economic pressures for for these residents. Uh, They're acute and increasing. Um, We don't know exactly what these pressures will manifest. We don't know uh, what inflation will look like even six months from now. Um, inflation is as highest right now as it's been in 40 years. So it seems incumbent on us as the fiduciary body of the city to tighten, to assist the administration in tightening our belt. And I appreciate the progress that's been made. Um, It hasn't been easy, and I know it's uh, 
taken a lot of work by my colleagues, and I appreciate that, and the administration. So now we are talking about a reduction from 8 .855 to 0 .69, um, meaning that by my simple calculation, a couple or an individual with a state-adjusted gross income has their impact redu reduced from $430 a year to 345 So that's real progress, and, I, and so I acknowledge that. Um, but I think we can do more. The council voted unanimously to increase the local income tax by 0.64%. The tax increase would also apply to all of Monroe County because the local income tax rate is decided by the Monroe County Local Income Tax Council, of which the Bloomington City Council makes up a 56.7% majority of the Local Income Tax Council. The next city council meeting will be held on May 11th. At the Ellettsville Town Council meeting on April 25th, the council decided between two bids they received for help updating the town's personnel policy. Treasurer Sandra Hash recommended that the council approve a contract with News Focus. Hash said their bid was less expensive and that their references had positive things to say. Um, the two quotes are from New Focus uh, and then the Wagner that did our waste, wage, wage study. And I have talked to Greencastle and Decatur. They're both very pleased with New Focus. Um, they said that um, they do annual updates to keep them in compliance. They also have assisted with job uh, descriptions and salary ordinances and salary surveys. And um, even they had a personnel issue, they were able to reach out because you can pay for HR service with them by the hour and they assisted them with that. So both of them were very good um, references for the new focus. Um, I uh, did reach out to Monroe County, who uses um, Wagner, and they have actually not had them update their policy since 2008. Now they, they did it, and then the county maintains that because they have staff attorneys. So they maintain it themselves. They have recontracted with them for another wage study. But um, I've looked through both policies, and comparatively, I mean, they're both getting you know the legal information in there that we need. They're updating our fair labor standards, making sure, sure that we have something in there about lactation for um, mommies that need that because we don't have anything in our policy. Um, we have to provide a place for that to happen. So at any rate, that was just one that stuck out in my mind when I ran across it. Um, I think they're comparable. And so my suggestion for one third the price is to go with New Focus. Council member Scott Oldham said that he was in favor of her recommendation. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I'd prefer to go with the group that we did not have do the wage study, which is the alternative that she's suggesting. I think that's a good check. Just because we have a check and balance, exactly. The council approved the contract unanimously. Town Marshal and Chief of Police Jimmy Dernal introduced their candidate, George Robinson, for the position of Assistant Chief Deputy. Our candidate was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. He attended DuPont Manual High School. He came to Bloomington uh, uh, to go to school here as an IUPD officer in the late 60s, early 70s, went back, returned to Louisville, 
and uh, joined the Louisville Police Department and did retire there as a, as a detective uh, in, in the department. They came back to Bloomington in 1996 with the IUPD as a, as a, as a sergeant in 1996, and then re, re, again uh, he retired from IUPD in, 19, in 2016 as an operations lieutenant. He's just been waiting for another a chance to serve the, the residents of, of, uh, of Indiana, but I want to present to you tonight George F. Robinson, and would submit to you he'd be approved for the Ellisville PD Assistant Chief. The council approved the appointment of George Robinson as chief deputy unanimously. He was sworn in by hash directly following the vote. I, George F. Robinson III. I, George F. Robinson III. Do solemnly swear. Do solemnly swear. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. That I will support the Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the State of Indiana. The Constitution of the State of Indiana. And the Town Code of Ellettsville. And the Town Code of Ellettsville. And that I will faithfully. That I will faithfully. Impartially. Impartially. And diligently. And diligently. Discharge and perform my duties. Discharge and perform my duties. As Chief Deputy. As Chief Deputy. Marshal. Marshal. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of the Ellettsville Police Department. Of the Ellettsville Police Department. Ellettsville, Indiana. Ellettsville, Indiana. According to the law. According to the law. And to the best of my skill and ability. To the best of my skill and ability. So help me God. So help me God. Thank you. And I have, I need your signature. The next Ellettsville Town Council meeting was held on May 2nd. Up next, WFHB News Director Kate Young covers last night's protest at the Monroe County Courthouse over abortion rights in a story titled, Community is Truly Our Last Line of Defense. Bloomington residents demonstrate support to defend Roe v. Raid. We turn to Young for more. Bloomington protesters gathered at the Monroe County Courthouse on Monday to defend Roe v. Wade and demand legal, free, accessible reproductive health care for all. The demonstration comes after a leak surfaced of an early Supreme Court ruling that has the potential to overturn the landmark case legalizing abortion nationwide. Ashley Colbertson, a protester and organizer with the Party for Socialism and Liberation, says she felt compelled to protest because of the draft leak and the, quote, inaction of politicians for failing to solidify reproductive rights. I mean, obviously, the leak of the Supreme Court draft opinion and also the inaction of the Democratic Party, who likes to put themselves as the party that champions women's rights in this country. But under the like current administration, we see that they have the presidency and a majority in the House and Senate, but they were not able to pass the Women's Health Protection Act due to Joe Manchin and due to just like a lack of consistency within the Democratic Party. And I think that it's pretty disgusting that we have the right wing in this country that is so hell-bent on taking away the rights of women. 
but that there is supposedly this other major opposition party in our country that you know does very very little to stand up for our rights except like using them as slogans whenever they are going to campaign she said if the supreme court overturns roe v wade it will hurt not only women but other marginalized groups as well i hope they know what they're doing and how much it's going to hurt women and non-binary people and trans men in this country just anyone with a uterus how like harmful it's really going to be and that this position where they call themselves pro-life is absolutely not pro-life in any sense that it is just anti-abortion and we know that being pro-life leads to more complications during uh, abortions being practiced and we know that this is just not the solution if they actually cared about limiting abortions, because we know that banning them does nothing to limit the actual amount of abortions that are performed. Colbertson was the opening speaker at the protest. Speaking from a megaphone, she called out the nation's highest court and policymakers for even considering to overturn abortion policy in the U.S. Neither the church nor the state has the right to tell us what to do with our bodies, and we will stand up and we will fight back. We will take to the streets like we are today Thirteen states in the United States have trigger ban laws in place to prohibit abortions if Roe v. Wade is overturned. Indiana is not one of those states. However, many speculate that Indiana's Republican supermajority would move quickly to ban abortion if the Supreme Court overturns nearly half a century of legal precedent. WFHB, I'm Cade Young. In today's feature report, WFHB correspondent Zero Rose continues his conversation with Ashley Ewald, writer, advocate, and podcaster, about how Generation Z is changing attitudes on climate change and cultural shifts. We turn to Rose for more. And a lot of your work has been to do with getting people to register to vote, getting uh, voter turnout for some of these campaigns, Warnock and Ossoff and uh, in the uh, runoff election that was fairly crucial. And of course, there's been a lot of backlash in legislation to restrict voting rights or make make things at least a little a little tougher in some ways, which is always harder on particular populations. Are you very confident that future elections are are going to be quite honorable and accurate uh, with some of the uh, restrictive measures that have been passed all across the country and particularly? you know, known around the nation, some of the stuff that's gone on in Georgia, including Stacey Abrams kind of being rooked out of her governorship. I think that a lot of times, especially policymakers right now, it's just like some of them are purposely trying to add more restrictions. Like you can't pass out water bottles 
50 people in line, even though you had to stand in line for hours, even if you try to get there early at the home. And to purposely forbid people from passing out snacks or food, which they do it to get people to stay in line, to stay and don't feel discouraged what the long lines do not vote. You know, they do it to people pass out water bottles and snacks to people, not to hack a lot of elections, but they do it because they want to keep people in the lines to wait and to vote and to cast their vote. And I think a lot of the times policymakers, it's fear. It's fear, mainly fear and ignorance. It's fear that makes them fear, hey, what if illegal immigrants are voting in our elections? What if citizens are not the ones voting? What are there other people who are voting as well? You know, which is an understandable fear because, you know, these are American elections. But the problem is when you purposely make it harder for someone to, like, stay in line and to vote and, and the ability to, you know, use absentee ballots that our former president used all the time. Like, it's just, it backtracks easier ways to vote and make your voices heard. And that's not fair, and nor is that right to citizens who have the right to vote. And so I feel like, I definitely feel like that truth will come out and that, like, elections, it's unpredictable, honestly, because the problem is, is the fact that, like, when you make it harder for an entire group of people to vote, whether it's people from less advantaged neighborhoods or people from other backgrounds and something like that, it's intentional. And it's fear that make it really hard for people to drop their absentee ballots safely, you know, without the fear of someone picking up the box and throwing them out, you know, or if you miss accidentally, you know, your cursive signature is not exactly identical to your, you know, ID one, they immediately pitch it or they immediately send it back. You know, just stuff like that that purposely almost makes it even more restrictive and more requirements for someone to vote. You know, like when you walk in to vote, I voted for the first time when I turned 18 and then I got my certificate of citizenship. Georgia Senate runoff was my first time I voted. And so like they would check your ID. You know, so like the whole voter fraud, like those are those are rare cases because like they literally checked your ID, and I think again it's fear, it's truly fear that causes policymakers to whether they think they are or they're not or they are self-aware that they're doing it, they're purposely adding on more requirements to strengthen the voting and making it harder, especially for the ones who might not be as educated about how to cast a vote. And for more information, you can go to like Pew Research because that is a great place to get your research and your data that's not very biased. Well, it seems that one of their prime fears is losing power and that the real majority does not support their policies or them being in power. So they've sided with lowering the vote you know, there were record turnouts and all the polls on issues. If you look at polls on issues, it's not generally what is actually done in in Congress. It doesn't necessarily align with what most people are for. And I know you, you know, want to be diplomatic a little bit and uh, give some people the benefit of the doubt. But uh, it's a it's a, obviously a pernicious wave of uh, avarice going on. I wonder if you kind of acknowledge that some of those currents in uh, political circles are, are definitely 
power hungry, sort of power mad, and are more about staying in their positions than truly working for everyone or are just devoted to particular corporate or vested interests or a smaller group of people they feel aligned with and are forfeiting the more civic initiative and purposes of a democracy. I mean, honestly, the Republican Party, like, I'm sorry to call people out, but like, it seems to me that very extremist right-wing politicians that are encouraging these legislation to purposely make it harder for minorities and poor people to vote it's because they're afraid and that they don't want to lose their power and they don't want to give it up. Like we just had a Georgian representative attend a white nationalist party. And the person who was running that organization literally said they were a white nationalist. Now we can Google what white nationalists mean. And it literally means you support the white people are superior and the other minorities are inferior. Like I don't see any democratic politician ever carrying a Confederate flag or going to a white nationalist party. Like, it's so mind-blowing. And it's truly sad because I want to believe that every person is a good person. I truly want to believe that. But with all the policies that are happening, the purposefulness of, like, saying it's voter fraud and someone accidentally misspells or, like, leaves a character out of their name due to a typo or due to a signature that doesn't look exact, you know? Like, that's something that the people are purposely trying to pick out. And people who are power hungry are the ones that deny the law, you know? Like, you have the right to vote if you're a citizen. And the ones that are trying to discourage to vote are mainly people who are coming from less advantage financially, like education-wise, economical backgrounds, and are tend to be minorities. And again, they know that minorities are more likely to vote for the opposite party. And that's the reason why they're trying to discourage them, and so they can carry out that right vote and basically have that and less of the minority vote. In, in your state, uh, there was a conflict of interest between Kemp overseeing his own election, right? And you're talking not just about voter, you know, discouraging voter turnout or making it harder to register or vote. You're talking about actually throwing out vast roles of people, uh, the kind of purges that they've done if your name is the same as someone who's a felon. Uh, you know, they're not really doing due diligence and sorting it out. They're just using these methods as ways to lessen the number. Like on the news, it literally said like Donald Trump Jr. I never like to say names in interviews, but I have to because this is so important. He created a fake ballot box and posted it on Twitter and people later found out that was fake. And he said, these are voter frauds. Like the fact that like, you know, you lost an election. And then you're like, no, there's no way I could have lost. There's no way I could have lost. It's almost as you think that you're entitled to everyone's vote and that you're entitled to this country. And the people say you're not a true patriot if you don't believe the election was stolen. A patriot doesn't mean you support a person. A patriot means you support America and the laws that it has in our constitution to not discriminate based on race, you know, and the ability to have the right to vote. It's com- completely misconstrued about the fact of what a patriot is. And I feel like it kind of robs that because patriot doesn't mean you support white nationalism and you can carry a Confederate flag or the history of that Confederate flag means that you literally supported slavery still being legal. Georgia right now, like I want to represent Georgia someday, 
but it's very obvious that I think the world, even people from other countries see that like, I, I feel like almost as if this whole area of the whole like stolen election and the whole, you know, again, the whole like trying to make it harder for people to vote, like people who say to myth, like you're in denial of reality because of the fact that like, Someone who can say that the election was stolen because they know they lost is proof that they literally lost, and then try to get the governor Kemp to literally denounce and throw away thousands of votes. The Secretary of State even like to get them to throw away thousands of votes, and then even Brian Kemp, he was so loyal to Trump, he was so loyal to him, right? But he kind of followed his heart and was like, you know, I'm not going to overturn the election. I'm not. Therefore. Donald Trump decided next time when governor, when he's re, he's running for governor again, he was like, nope, I am not going to support you. And that shows you right there that Donald Trump kind of plays of, oh, if you're not going to support me anymore, I won't support you either. Or if you're not going to do as I say without question and you're going to criticize me, then of course I'm just not going to support you and endorse you anymore. And it shows that he was never loyal to anyone but himself. Support for WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. For more information online at mpisolarenergy.com.